Morning, church. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you for this day, and thank you so much for an opportunity we get to come and to worship and to serve and to grow in our faith. I pray now during our time of teaching, God, you just speak through me that my words will be words that will inspire myself and this congregation to live in a way that glorifies you. God, you're so awesome. You're so great. Continue to bless us this morning as we study your word. In your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you guys a question to kind of get, get things rolling and get you thinking this morning. Ask yourself the question this. Am I a risk taker? Think about that for a second. Think to yourself, am I someone who's willing to take risks? Some of you might be thinking, yeah, I love taking risks, you know. You've been bungee dumping, skydiving, you started your own business. You've done things in your eyes that you feel are risky. Maybe I would feel most of us might feel this way, but you're like, man, I am not a risk taker. I like to sit in my comfy chair, be comfortable, not put myself in harm's way, put myself where I feel uncomfortable or at risk. Whether we think we're bona fide risk takers or not, all of us sometime in our life have been willing to take a risk in some way or another. My senior year in high school, which was 10 years ago, it's crazy, I'm getting so old. I know. Some of you are like, you're, you're ridiculous there. 10 years ago, my senior in high school, I received a scholarship to go play football in college. And that was an awesome achievement for me as an 18-year-old kid. My, my dream in life was always to play football at the next level. Well, as a 12-year-old, it was the NFL. As a 16-year-old, I was like, I don't think I'm making it to the NFL, so I'm going to settle for making it to play college football. Well, I achieved that goal by receiving a scholarship to get to play football. I'd worked hard to, to reach that goal, to meet my dreams, and I was excited. And also, people, someone's going to pay me to go to school. Like, that's awesome. That is so great. Well... That was my plan, and as we see a lot of times in our lives and throughout Scripture, you know, we have plans, but God typically, you know, hey, hold on a second. Have you seen my plan yet? And that's what happened to me the summer after my senior year. I was at a CIY conference in Colorado, and during that week, God was putting something on my heart. He was putting on my heart saying, Aaron, I don't think I like your plan. I have a better plan for you. I want you to go into ministry. I want you to go to Bible college. I want you to become a youth minister. And I had a decision I had to make that week. I had to decide, do I take a risk and stop doing, living out the dream I've had for so long and do this thing that I've thought about doing for maybe three to four months? To me, that was risky. My whole life, I wanted to play football in college and do this thing. And now God's telling me, hey, I want you to do this thing you've been only thinking about for a couple of months. And that was risky for me. I, I had to make a decision. Was I going to take that risk? And something I, re I learned that week at CIY was giving my life to Jesus when I was 17 year old was a risk. I don't think we think about this too often, but it's risky to give your life to Jesus. It's risky to say, you know what, God, I'm not going to live the way I want to anymore, and I'm going to put you in charge of my life. That's scary for us. Someone else is in charge of my life. Someone else is in charge of making the decisions that I need to make. And when I realized that, that I already taken a risk in becoming a follower of Jesus, I realized if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to be willing to take risks, big risks. Well, that week, I came home. I'm going to cry. I told my dad. He cried. I was super excited, and I went to, I didn't even, I practiced like 10 times. didn't cry any of those times. Now I'm crying now. And I decided to go to Bible college, become a youth minister. As they say, the rest is history. If we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to take risks. 
You have to be willing to take risks to impact the kingdom of God. Think about that for a second. If you take risks, you're going to impact the kingdom of God. That's huge. That's an awesome opportunity we have to impact the kingdom of God. We all have that opportunity. This morning, we're continuing our series, We Are the Church. We are the church. We are God's body. And as we study through the book of Acts, today we're going to spend some time looking at a man that was so willing to take risks for his faith, so willing to do whatever it took to lead people to Jesus, which meant in his life to take big risks. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, or if you don't, turn to the book of Acts. If you have, don't have your Bible, we have these Bibles in the pew. Turn to page 762, Acts chapter 6 and 7 is where we're going to be. In this Bible, page 762. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Stephen. And we're going to learn through Stephen that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be willing to take risks. And Stephen was so willing to do that. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 6 and learn some basic things that we need to know about Stephen to help us learn this morning. In Acts chapter 6, we first learn that Stephen is chosen by disciples to be a group of seven men that are going to take care of widows. And in that, we learn that Stephen is a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit in verse 5. And then in verse 8 of chapter 6, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So we know some important key things about Stephen. First, we know that he's a devoted follower of Jesus. He's willing to work and to serve as he helps out widows. We learn he's full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and he's doing some amazing things to spread the gospel. Now, I want you guys to hear, this is really important for us to understand this morning. Stephen is not an original 12 disciple. He is not a leader or a pastor of a church. He's not an elder in a church. He is what we would call an everyday average church attender. And he's not letting that stop him from doing big things and spreading the gospel. And for, all, for most of us, that's us. We're not the minister. We're not the elder. We are people that attend this church and serve in different ways. And you have the capability, just like Stephen is, to make big impacts for the kingdom of God. That's so important for us to know this morning. So Stephen's in the first century Christian. If, if you know anything about first century Christians, one of the key things we understand about them is they face persecution on a regular basis. No Christian in the first century is just left alone. They are persecuted on a regular basis, and it's no different in the life of Stephen. When Stephen shares the good news about Jesus, his life is in danger regularly, but that never stops Stephen from sharing his faith and spreading the good news about Jesus. The typical people that would try to stop the Jesus movement were the Jewish religious leaders. They didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe he was the Savior, and so they want Jesus to never be spoken of again. And they will do whatever they can to make sure it stops. And they want to stop Stephen as well because he's doing big things for the kingdom. Here's where it is in chapter 6, verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedom, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the Providence, Cilicia, and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So the Jewish religious leaders say, I know what we can do to get him to stop. We'll argue with him. We'll try to convince him what he's saying is wrong, that he's wrong, it's false. Well, they can't. God is on Stephen's side, and he's not going to allow these Jewish religious leaders to find some excuse that he's wrong to get him to stop. 
And so they can't do that. So here's what they decide to do. I know what we'll do. We'll lie. We'll deceive. We'll do evil practices to get him to stop because we think what he's doing is wrong. So in verse 12, it says this. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So they make up these false claims that, that, that Stephen is speaking against God, against Moses, an Old Testament prophet, speaking against the law, the Old Testament, and all this stuff to say, look at all this wrong stuff he's doing, which isn't what Stephen is doing at all. Stephen is basically proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, and he wants these people to understand that worship isn't inside a man-made building like the temple in Israel, that you can worship God anywhere. And these people want Stephen to stop, so they lie and they cheat and they deceive. So in verse 1 of chapter 7, Stephen's before this group of men, and the high priest, the leader of this group of men, asks Stephen this simple question. He says, are these charges true? Stephen, are these charges true? Is what these men saying is it true? Now here's where Stephen has a decision to make. He's got two options here. He can, one, choose to get out of this. He could find a way to make sure that he won't face any persecution. He won't face danger of his life. He'll be left alone. Or he can take a big risk and teach and say what God really wants him to say that day to these men who continue to persecute Christians, and ultimately they kill Jesus as well. And so Stephen has to make a decision. Am I going to take a risk in my faith? And if we know anything about the book of Acts and we know about the men and women in the books of Acts, they were willing to take risks in their faith. And Stephen is no different. He decides the best thing he needs to do is to say what God wants him to say, which is risky because it could cost him his life. So Stephen answers this high priest and this group of men in a way that might be confusing for us a little bit, for them. Stephen answers and he gives them a history lesson. He talks about Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, characters found in the Old Testament. Now, the people he's talking to, they know these stories. This is nothing new to them. They know about these men. But Stephen's giving them some information here to help them understand something that they've been missing all along. And that's that they continue over and over again to reject Jesus, the men who preach about Jesus' coming. And they reject them over and over again, and they're missing out on that salvation. So first thing, Stephen starts with Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch of the Jews. He's the first one. God chose Abraham to start his nation. He chose Abraham to leave his country. Everything he was used to, everything he was normal, it'd be like us, God telling us, hey, I want you to move from Whiting and go move to Japan. That's what God called Abraham to do. Leave everything you know and go to this new place where you start this new nation and this new land in Israel. So that's what Abraham does. He follows that call. And then he bridges the gap to his story to Joseph. Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. And Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and his older brothers are jealous of Joseph because of his relationship with his parents and relationship with God. So they sell Joseph into slavery. That's pretty mean. They sell him into slavery. But Joseph is a man after God. He loves and follows God, so God's looking out for him. He ends up in Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he interprets some dreams, and he ends up as the number two guy in Egypt right underneath Pharaoh, and he's in charge of everything. And being in charge of everything, he learns, as he continues to interpret dreams, he learns of a famine that's supposed to come. And Egypt's ready. They prepared for it for years. 
Well, Joseph's biological family, 75 in all, have not prepared. And through some things and some different situations, Joseph saves his family, moves into Egypt, and they are saved from the famine. Joseph's own brothers rejected him. That's key to things Stephen wants these guys to understand, that Joseph, a man of God, was rejected by his own brothers. Well, let's fast forward. He fast forwards to Moses because the Egyptians have now turned the Israelites into their slaves. Here's what Stephen says in verse 17 of chapter 7. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came in power to Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. So now Moses is part of these, this Jewish nation in, in Egypt, and they're slaves. And during Moses' very early years as a newborn baby, the Pharaoh wants to kill all these newborn babies. Well, God has chosen Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. So God's, or excuse me, Moses' mom puts him in a wicker basket, puts him in the Nile, and floats him down the river to save him from, from being murdered. Well, Pharaoh's daughter picks up Moses, takes him in, and he becomes part of the Egyptian family and part of Pharaoh's household. So Moses is saved, even as he's almost rejected as a small child to save his people out of Egypt. Well, fast forward, Stephen fast forwards 40 years, and we find out that Moses is an Egyptian, and he sees one of his Jews, his Jewish ancestors, his Jewish familyhood, being attacked physically by another Egyptian. So he gets in the way, and in the process, he murders this Egyptian. And Moses is hoping that this process will help people to see that he's here to rescue them out of Egypt. Well, that doesn't happen. They accuse Moses of being a murderer, and, just, and it scares him. And so he flees. He gets out of Egypt and flees. And while he's gone, God reveals himself to him in a burning bush and tells Moses, hey, you need to go back to Egypt. I know they rejected you once, but you need to go back to Egypt, and you need to rescue my people out of Egypt. Stephen's telling them this. Moses goes back after God gives him a little convincing that he is able to do this. He goes to Egypt through plagues and through different things. Moses leads his people out of slavery and out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, and starts to find his way in the Promised Land. And unfortunately, again, Moses' people reject him. While they're in the desert, wandering around, they start to think, man, did we have it better as slaves? Did we have it better when we were under Egyptian rule? This is what Stephen says in verse 39. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. As Moses was trying to lead the people, they still wanted to go back to Egypt. They continued to reject God's chosen messengers. Moses was receiving the law. They built a golden calf and started worshiping that instead of relying on God. Stephen has given these, these Jewish religious leaders all this information, not to say, hey, let's refresh. Let's, let's remember what happened. He's showing them that, do you see the pattern that goes on? Do you see that your ancestors continued over and over again to reject these messengers of God? He even tells them, you murdered the, the prophets that predicted Jesus. You continue to reject, and you even reject Jesus. He wants them to realize, if you don't stop rejecting, you're going to miss out on salvation. You're going to miss out on this great gift God has for you. So he goes through this information, he gives this information, and then he just really lets them have it. You know, have you ever been just to the, you just been to the top, you just can't take it anymore, and you really just have to say what you need to say. And that's what Stephen does. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's totally truthful and totally straightforward. 
And we might think, whoa, Stephen, that was a little too much. No, Stephen had to say this to these people. Here's what he says in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen first says, you stiff-necked people, meaning he calls them stubborn donkeys. That's basically what he calls them. Now, if any of us, you know, someone said that to us, that would make us upset. This makes them upset. But they are. They're being super stubborn and not listening to the message Stephen is giving about Jesus. They continue to refuse. And then he says, your hearts and ears are uncircumcised. Basically, what he's saying, that circumcision was a sign that you're a Jew. He's saying, you have the sign that you're a follower of God, but you don't act like it whatsoever. You continue to reject, continue to cheat and lie and steal. You're not acting like a, a man of God. And he says, was there ever a prophet or ancestor you didn't persecute? You even kill, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. He says, and then you even murdered Jesus. You rejected the prophets, and then you even rejected Jesus and killed him. You continue to reject this message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Stephen's not holding anything back. He has to tell them this because they're never going to move past rejecting if someone doesn't just get straightforward and honest with them. He's taking a risk. And for Stephen's risk, it ultimately leads to his death. They hear this. They don't want to hear it anymore. They don't want to listen. And Stephen then proclaims that he sees Jesus up in heaven at the right hand of God, meaning that is the most prominent place anybody could ever be at the right hand of God, and that's for the Messiah. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they just don't want to hear anymore. So they literally start acting like five-year-olds. They cover their ears and start screaming at the top of their lungs so they don't have to hear Stephen anymore. Next thing they do is they drag Stephen outside the city, and they stone him. If you don't know what stoning is, it's, it's when you take baseball-sized rocks and you throw it at somebody until they die. And they stone and kill Stephen for his proclamation of who Jesus is and of the sin that they were in. Stephen took a big risk and it cost him his life. And even at the moments he's losing his life, he tells God to forgive these men for what they are doing. Stephen had a heart for people. Stephen had a heart to change life and he had a heart willing to take big risks in his faith. He risked his own life so these men would know if they don't stop rejecting Jesus, they're never going to receive the salvation that he has found through Jesus Christ. Stephen was a bold man. He was a man with strong faith. He was a man that lived out his faith for Jesus. He took big risks, risking his reputation, risks in his own life. Stephen should be an inspiration for us today, an inspiration for us to say, Am I willing to take risks in my faith? Am I willing to step out on faith and do some things to lead people to Jesus? The question we need to ask ourselves today is, are we willing to take risks in our faith? Are you willing today to start saying, I want to start taking risks in my faith? Are you ready to get out of your comfort zone for your belief in Jesus? Think about that. Am I ready to get out of my comfort zone, to make risks to lead people to Jesus. And you might be saying, how, what? I want you guys to realize this this morning. 
This is big. This is, this is the, the big thing I want you to know and understand. When we are willing to take risks, we are willing to change lives. When we are willing to take risks, we are willing to change lives. I don't know about you, but for me, the idea of getting the opportunity to change someone's life is an opportunity I want to take advantage of. Why wouldn't you want to take an opportunity to change someone's life for the good? And we have that potential. You and I have the potential to change people's lives. How can we do that? You might ask, how on earth can I change people's lives? This is so important. This is, this is so important. We have the power to change people's lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The day you gave your life to Jesus or the day that you eventually do give your life to Jesus, you receive this wonderful thing called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God living inside of you, giving you the power to have courage and say the things you need to say according to God's will. It sounds so weird and strange sometimes. God's living inside of me? What? But he is. He's given you the power to take risks. He's given you the power to have those conversations. So you can take risk in your faith through the power of God. So the question is, how can we take risks? How can we take risks right here in our community in Whiting, Iowa, and the surrounding areas? And you might think, you know, well, we are very blessed in our area, in our country, that we don't face physical harm or our lives aren't in danger because of our faith. Some place in America, yes, it's true, but mainly for us right here in our area, we don't face that. Around the world, yes, persecution is very common to Christians. But we can still take risks, even though that our lives and our physical beings aren't in danger. So the question is how? How can we? We as a leadership team have been meeting every Monday night and trying to find out ways to best reach our goals to, to, to be a church that reaches people. And something we've established, that what our mission statement we want to be at the church is this, and this is how we can take risks. We can lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. To lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. That's how we can take risks. It's up on the screen, read it. Know it, you're gonna see this all over the place for, for the near future and lots of times to come. Our mission as a church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. We can take risks in that way. And how we as a church feel the best strategy to do that is through inviting, sharing, and serving. Through inviting, sharing, and serving. So how can we take risks? I want to talk about those three things. First, we need to be willing to invite. Willing to invite. Meaning, you're going to need to start a conversation. As odd as it sounds, it's a risk to have a conversation with somebody at times. It's a risk to say, hey, you should come to church. Hey, you should come to life group. You should come to Bible study. Hey, you should bring your kids to encounter. It's a risk to have those, those questions and those conversations. Because in our minds, this is what we think. What are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm weird? Are they going to think I'm strange? Are they going to think I'm this hypocritical Christian? Are they going to think I'm the super Christian that's crazy? What are they going to think? Are they going to say no? Are they going to hate me? I don't know what they're going to think. I don't know what they're going to say. And neither do you if you don't ask. If you don't build up the courage and say, hey, come to church with me. Check it out. Come to life group with me. Invite. We have to be willing to invite. Think about this. When was the last time you built a relationship with someone with the purpose and goal in mind to lead them into a relationship with Jesus? When's the last time you started a relationship with someone with your only goal 
Your main goal is so that they would get to know Jesus and eventually give their life to him. So yesterday, last week, sometime a couple months ago, last year, years, is it possibly never? Think about it. Because we as Christians, that's what it needs to be about. We need to build relationships with people and the sole purpose of that we want them to know and understand who Jesus is. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like if I had the cure for cancer, I'd tell the whole world. You got the cure for salvation. We need to tell the whole world by inviting, being people who care about people and start conversations. Are we making our life about building relationships with people so that they can know and understand the love of Jesus too? Start having conversations with your friends. Start having conversations with the parents of your, of your kids' classmates. Start having conversations with your teachers, your classmates, your family members. That one's tough. But if we don't, who is? We can't say someone else is going to do it. No, God's called you to do it. Because let's face it, we all know those one or two people that, man, I just need to have a conversation with them about Jesus. And it takes a risk to have that conversation because you're making yourself vulnerable and you're taking a risk that they're going to reject you, think of you in a different way. But man, we got some information that we need to share with people, that we need to be inviting people to church and inviting them to come into a relationship with Jesus. So let's stop having fear of rejection or embarrassment stop us, but start having the courage to be inviting. Because we want to grow, we want to lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. That's our mission, to lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. So we need to be first be willing to invite. Next, we need to be willing to share. The question is, share what? First, share your lives. Join a life group. It's risky to be vulnerable. Let's face it. A lot of us don't like to share our feelings because, man, someone's going to think I'm weird because I said this, or they're going to think I'm strained because I'm struggling with this. I guarantee you, every person in this church has, has someone that they could relate to with something they've dealt with. And it's, it's risky to be vulnerable, to be open, but that, man, when we share, we grow as people. And when we share our wisdom and knowledge with people in life group and in those relationships, we help people to grow. A lot of you guys have been following Jesus for over 50 years, 40 years, 30 years. You have tons of wisdom that you can share with people like me and younger who need to be guided and directed on how to follow Jesus. If you got wisdoms in your bones and in your mind, you need to share that wisdom. I'm 28 years old. I don't know how to be a dad. I've been a dad for four months. Some of you have been dads for years. Pour into people like that. Yeah, it, it's risky. But man, when you share your life, you lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we're about. Yeah, it's risky, but it's a risk that we have to take. We have to take that risk. Share your homes. Invite people in your homes for dinner. It's a risk to invite strangers in your homes. You might be like, man, these people are really weird. They, they say weird things. They don't talk for four to five seconds, and I feel awkward. Who cares? Who cares? Because when you share your homes, people are like, man, these people are nice. Why are they so nice? I love Jesus. Boom, the gospel. You know, it's, it's not difficult. Invite people into your homes. Share your lives. And you're going to lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. Third one, this might make us feel uncomfortable. We need to talk about, you need to give generously. God calls us to give with our finances. And man, give in ways where it scares you. Write a check where you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills next month, but I feel God's calling me to give this amount of money. 
And we don't want your money because we're going to go buy a boat and go have a good time. We want your money because money helps us to lead people to Jesus. It helps spread the gospel 100 million miles across the globe. That's totally geographically incorrect, and I apologize for that fact. <laughs> Give generously. Some of you are thinking, well, man, what if my furnace goes out? What if my car breaks down? How am I going to... How am I going to make it? I have the full confidence and faith. If you give generously and your car breaks down the next week, somehow God's going to provide for you to deal with that struggle you're dealing with. Because I've seen it happen in my life countless times where I give, and I was like, man, I don't know about this. The next day something happens. The next day someone's like, hey, let me just give you my vehicle. That happens. Give generously because when you do, you lead people into growing relationships with Christ. Be willing to invite, be willing to share. And the last one, be willing to serve. Be willing to put others' needs before your own. That's a risk. Man, I'm going to say someone else is more important than I. Man, that's risky. It is. It truly is. But when you serve people, they see God's love and you help them grow. And we need to take those opportunities. We need to take advantage of serving. Serving the children's ministry. There's 30 kids back there that need adults to love them, to teach them about Jesus. And there's adults back there that are pouring into those kids because they're willing to serve. That can be you. On Wednesday nights, we got 40 kids that come regularly, and I got a group of adults that pour into those kids because they serve. That could be you. We got band members up here that help us lead us into worship with God. That could be you. There's so many different ways to serve around this church where you can help lead people in the growing relationships with God. It's a risk to say, I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to take one night out of the week to serve God. That's, that's nothing. We're too busy. Stop filling your schedules with stuff that you don't need to and start filling your schedule with stuff that's going to lead people in their growing relationships with Christ. That's a risk. People at your schools that think you're weird because your kid's not in every sport or they're not in every single thing. That's okay because what's more important? At the end of the day, when, when you die, as God can say, man, you were in a lot of extracurriculars in school. That was awesome, but you never fully loved me. Have your kids devoted into being a part and growing in their faith. Have yourselves devoted to growing in your faith, and that's, we can do that through serving. We have to be willing to invite, willing to share, and willing to serve. Because when we do those three things, we lead people into growing relationship with Christ. We have to be willing to take risks, guys. If we're not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Stephen's story today is extremely inspirational, and I want to give you guys a story today that's going to inspire you in our own time in our own world. Four years ago, I was blessed to get to learn of a man named Sanjay. I learned about Sanjay through a film CIY made four years ago called Love Cost Everything. And this film looks at the persecuted church around the world. Sanjay is a man that lives in India. India, if you don't know, is 80% Hindu. And those 80% of Hindus do not like Christians. They persecute Christians. They murder Christians. And Sanjay grows up in a Christian home and eventually dedicates his life to being a minister in India to his own people. And Sanjay, like most of us, gets married. Finds a beautiful, wonderful wife that loves God and wants to do ministry with him as well. But things happen. But they were okay with that because they were willing to take a risk in their faith and live out their faith, even though that they face persecution, they face death threats, and they face the risk of their own life. This morning, we're going to watch a small clip of their story. And guys, it's, it's impactful, it's powerful, it's hard, but it's real. And it's something we need to see this morning to help us to continue to be inspired to take risks 
in our faith. So watch this clip. When I first saw that, I sobbed like a baby. Because I thought to myself, what am I willing to risk? What am I willing to do for my faith? Those stats are four years old. I can't even imagine the numbers now that Sanjay, with his heart, to lead people to Jesus and risk his life every day, to be impacted by losing his wife. I'm not here to make you feel bad and feel like you're a bad Christian because you're not willing to risk everything like he is, but it's helped us to make us think to say, we can be doing so much more. We can be taking so many more risks in our faith to lead people into growing relationships with Jesus. Leave today, putting it in a reminder, I need to talk to that person this week. My family member, my classmate, my teacher, my coworker, my friend. Because if you're not willing to take that risk, who is? Our faith in Jesus is so much more about just showing up to places and learning something. It's about being active. It's about going out and inviting someone to church. It's about sharing our homes, sharing our lives, sharing our finances. It's about serving those little kids, those teenagers, you adults. If we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone and take risk, who is? And you guys are all so capable of doing that. And maybe you're sitting in this room thinking, man, this, give, to give my life to Jesus, I have to do all that stuff. Yeah, it's a risk to give your life to Jesus. It's a risk to say, God, my life is yours. And if that's you this morning, take that risk. Take that risk to give your life to Jesus because it's the best decision you ever made. I made that decision 11 years ago and my life has forever been fulfilled because I have Christ in my heart. I want to leave you with this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want all of us to be able to say that towards the end of our days, that we have fought the good fight, that we have finished the race, and we have kept the faith and done everything we could to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's be a church that lives out that mission, that invites, shares, and serves, and is willing to take risks so we can change people's lives. We can do it. Let's do it. God, help us this week and the rest of our lives to make a point to be willing to take risks to lead people into growing relationships with you. God, some of us are sitting in this room and we're scared. We don't know how to have those conversations. We don't know how to talk to those people. But God, give every single one of us wisdom on how to do that. Some of us sit in this room like, I don't know if I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. That's okay. Help them to understand that they can make that decision, that you will help them along the way. God, help us this morning to realize through Stephen, through Sanjay, that we can take risks in our faith to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Help us to know and understand that this morning and want to live that out. It's your name I pray. Amen.